Coming up this week, off screen. The replicants are back as Blade Runner reaches 2049. Kate Winslet and Idris Elba have a mountain between them. Brie Larson looks for a glass castle. There's classic Coen Brothers drama as Blood Simple returns. Michael Winterbottom takes Wolf Alice on the road. And we peek behind the curtain of the Gipper with The Reagan Show. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Collar. I'm Kelly Needham. Welcome back, Miss Needham. Thank you for having me. So, uh, before news, before reviews, before Box Office Top 5, before many, many, many competitions, as always, and really, we, we get these competitions stacked up in months in advance now. It's it's ridiculous. They're very good competitions. We, we, no, we know more competitions that we have in the future than we do films. All right, well, you tell so, me about these after. <laughs> yeah. So, before that, give me a piece of film news that tied me over there. What have we got to begin this week? There's so much to choose from, but I think we'll start with uh, a new cast member of Venom. You heard oh. about this? Because you and I are both big fans of Parks Recreation, of course. So, okay, so Venom has Venom is the Spider-Man spin-off. Uh, it's not going to start over Grace. Um, oh no! I know, I know. For shame, for shame. How could they upgrade to? Is it Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy. I know. How do you go from <laughs> Topher Grace to Tom Hardy? That that's that's real escalation <laughs> right there. Although it's worth noting that Christopher Nolan, when he was making films, he downgraded from Tom Hardy to Topher Grace between films. So, oh man, think about it. Inception to Interstellar. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to, uh, Tom Hardy is the new Venom. Riz Ahmed is in that movie as well. Uh, weird bit of casting, although I'm really glad to see he's getting more mainstream stuff after Rogue One, because that was something sort of out of the wheelhouse for him. Yeah. And uh, now we have uh, we have a female member of the cast, playing a scientist, no less. A sexy scientist? A sexy, well, she's Jenny Slate, so I think, yeah, sexy scientist. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Jenny Slate, of course, is more known for animation work at the minute, I think, than live action. Do you think? I would say so. She's Gidget in The Secret Life of Pets. Yeah. Okay, she's... Um, Mayweather? Bellwether? Bellwether, I think. Bellwether? Deputy Mayor Bellwether in Zootopia or Zootropolis, depending on what mm. you call it. Yeah, she's getting around. Although, I mean, I saw her film Obvious Child a few years ago, which I think she wrote and directed as well. And it was terrific. I really loved it. And it was very edgy and very of its time. In fact, it's very of now, given certain news events this week. Mm. And, uh, yeah, she's, isn't she also Mrs. Chris, Chris Evans in real life? She was, I she think was. that's oh. over now. Oh. But I think she she has a really distinctive voice, doesn't she? She does, doesn't she? She kind of sounds like Julie Benz and Joey Lauren Adams had a baby and then put it in a, a dark, smoky, almost Baltic-looking package. <laughs> Baltic-looking. <laughs> I, can't, I, don't know, I don't know her ethnicity. It's like uh, uh, Mila Kunis. I, I don't know. I actually, oh, I actually I know, know that Mila Kunis is actually Russian, isn't she? Ukrainian? Is she? I don't, I don't know. Well, clearly we don't know. We, we, we clearly don't know we, enough. We're uninformed. We we're ignorant. We, we, we are. We're ignorant. We're ignorant. Okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk then about our first film review of the week. Let's talk about The Mountain Between Us. Have you seen the bus ads for this? I don't think anyone hasn't. Okay. Surely. So you're aware of the very, very basic setup for this one. No, I've literally only seen the posters. Oh, okay. All right. So, basically, there's chaos at the airport uh, one Christmas, as there often tends to be, mm. and a surgeon who's trying to get back home to, to perform a life-altering surgery on a, on a young young boy. He's a neurosurgeon. Um, and a photographer who's coming back from a, an overseas assignment who's trying to get back for her wedding. Um, 
they basically team up when they discover that they can't fly home by regular means, and they hire a private plane between them. And That's what I do every I, time. It's, this, it's kind of thing that only happens in movies, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, nobody has ever done this from Stansted. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard about this from Robin Hood Airport. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one's chartering them planes. Exactly. So no sooner have they gotten airborne, however, than mm. uh, the pilot has a stroke. <gasps> And they happen to be flying straight towards the storm that has basically uh, shut down all the airports. So the storm obviously takes out the plane. There's no pilot to correct the course. They crash on, would you believe it, a mountain. So it's not just a clever title. It's a real mountain. It's a real mountain. They are physically together on the ground, though. The mountain isn't between them. It, oh, it's, it's, that, that's a metaphorical <laughs> bit of the title. And uh, basically, you've got uh, Idris Elba's the doctor, Kate Winslet's the photographer. They've got a dog with them, because the pilot had a dog on the plane. And uh, they, they must overcome their differences. He's very organised. She is more carefree, more soulful. And find a way to either A, survive long enough to get rescued, or B, find a way to, you know, back to civilization. Uh, we have a clip. There was this one girl, she... She told me all about this boy. She liked him. You know. And I gave her my lipstick. Then there was an explosion. And she was badly injured. I took her picture. And she died. I can't take your picture. I'm sorry. And I'm going to die. Not today. So, basic setup for a movie. Is there a woman alive who doesn't want to be stuck on a mountain with Idris Elba? I mean, really. I don't want to meet her if there is. <laughs> you wouldn't want to meet that woman, would you? <laughs> uh, let's be honest, most guys would love to be stuck on a mountain with Idris Elba, so we can, just so we could say, dude, can, can we be best friends? Aww. But, uh, anyway. Uh, right. So, this has got a lot going for it. Mm-hmm. This has got... Well, first of all, I mean, you look at the casting. Uh, Idris Elba and Kate Winslet. It's a very specific kind of casting there. When you've cast those two in the same project, and they are largely the only cast members on screen, because um, you know, really that's the case. Bo Bridges is briefly in, as the, in there as the pilot, mm. but it is more or less these two the entire time. And the dog. And the dog. Um, who doesn't have a name, incidentally. They, they, never, they don't learn his name early on, so they have to just call him Dog for the oh. entire movie. Um Here's the thing with it, say, once you get these two and you've pitched this movie in a certain way, it's very obvious where the demographic is. And the demographic is my mum. And it's your mum. It's all our mums, basically. It's a mum movie. It's very much a mum movie. And actually, for the most part, that's never a problem at all you kind of you kind of enjoy the way it's a very fluffy film mm. but it's not afraid to actually ramp up the you may well die here angle but at the same surprised time, that it's fluffy well it's a 12a as well is it 12a 15 i think i read that it was a 12a and i wrote it was 15 somewhere else but to be fair it feels more like a 12a than a 15 yeah. and yeah it is fluffy it is kind of frothy even though it deals with you know, quite dark aspects mm. of of survival and elements like that. We're not talking about alive. No one's eating, you know, other people. They don't, <laughs> no, yeah, they don't cook and eat the pilot or anything <laughs> like that. Um, the, the dog is safe, for instance. In fact, that's actually something um, about the film that's worth pointing out. It's, for the most part, it's actually quite uh, brave in taking on and subverting aspects of the survival thriller. Mm. So, for instance, the dog... There are numerous points in this film 
where you you think in a lazy movie that's where you would have killed the dog. The dog would have got it. Exactly. But this film instead, and this might be down to the fluffy, fluffiness, or it might be an element of bravery in, in the writing, um, they, they keep the dog around as an actual character in this film. Mm. And he becomes quite an integral sort of soulful part of this narrative. It's very strange, but actually really likable. Where the film falls down dead, however, is, and this isn't really a spoiler if you've seen any of the marketing. Uh, if you've not seen any of the marketing, I suppose it kind of constitutes, but I don't think you can critique this film without saying it. Mm. Um, there is an element early on, sort of a very, very subtle undercurrent of a sort of opposites attract romance story. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of content for it to be that. And the film works as long as it is that. Mm. When they eventually drop the ball on that one, though, and decide, we're going for it, this all just goes to hell. And Why? yeah, because it just doesn't work. The survival element and the and the awkward romance thing doesn't work in tandem. It doesn't right. work. It doesn't work as far as keeping the momentum going. The actual survival element of it kind of works better if they don't have a romantic connection. Mm. And if it is back to that subtle stage that it was at the beginning, they don't do that. However, and it's a shame because up to that point, I was actually really enjoying it, but. Again, your mum and my mum gonna love this. I was All the mums. Say, would the mums still love it if they didn't go there with the romance? Once they go there with the romance, though, you come away and you do feel like what you've watched could feasibly be an adaptation of an airport novel. You know what I mean? That, that that novel, that novel that women over a certain age all buy in the airport when they're going on their holidays and they read it on the beach. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that it feels like that, unless the sort of the great soulful survival. Yeah, it, it's a shame because I was kind of on board with it. I was pretty on board with it until then. And yeah, that really sunk it for me. But it's never mind. A shame. It is a shame. It's a, it's a sting in the end of the time. And the, sorry, but the, the, the final closure of it all is ridiculous. It is just no. Well, that definitely is a spoiler, so you'll have to tell me uh, when we're not. No, I, I, won't, <laughs> I, won't, I won't give you the details, but the, end, the actual ending of this is garbage. Oh, man. Again, my mum would love it. But uh, terrible tasting films, though. Awful tasting films, my mother. <laughs> really, honestly, awful. Is it worth watching, though? I mean, is it worth it? If it's on TV and, uh, I don't know, years' time? You'll probably come away from it thinking exactly what I did. I really like that until the romance stuff. Mm. And then I didn't care. And that's really it. So, yeah. But, uh, and, and also, I just love the idea of a dog named Dog. So, that's original. It's original. <laughs> uh, let's plug podcast competitions real quick. So competitions uh, this week. Uh, this goes out on Friday. It's worth noting Friday is the last day to enter the Red Turtle competition, oh. which you should enter. Red Turtle is an amazing movie, and you should absolutely want to own it. So enter. There you go. Uh, we have got The Exception on DVD, which you and I saw and reviewed last week, which yeah. I think we both quite liked. I quite liked it. It's yeah. not a hard-hitting thing. You um, want to see Jai's Courtney, if you know Jai's that Courtney, way. yeah, and, and Lily's James. <laughs> James's. Lily's James. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Song to Song, which I liked a lot less. Um, that's on DVD. We're giving that away as well. So same competition. Not not the same competition. You don't get to see Jai's Courtney and uh, and Ryan Gosling in one same go. Doesn't work that way. Oh, man. So no, no. Sorry, we're not that we're not that giving. Um, <laughs> yeah. So go on to onscreenfilm.com forward slash competitions or just go on onscreenfilm.com. Just click in. Um, in the meanwhile, podcast edition. Yes. Uh, yeah, you got to hear yourself on Acast last week. I'd imagine. So. I know. Do you know? I I actually did listen back to it because I thought I'm bound to forget <laughs> what I said. And isn't it awful when you listen to yourself? I wouldn't know. I'm an egotist. 
<laughs> I'm an egotist, so I, I would narrate my own life if I could. The but, great uh, thing is that everyone got to hear me blabbering on and on and on and making your show super long. This is what it's like just being your friend, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, go on. If you want the extended version of this podcast, which uh, this week includes more film news, a look at the reissue of Blood Simple, the 80s Coen Brothers movie, and of course, our moment of cage, Yay! and of course, more top class bands from Kel and I. Um, <laughs> just go on to, uh, you know, iTunes, Deezer, TuneIn, uh, Acast. If you go on Acast, you get the digital bling as well, which we're very proud of. And that's all down to uh, your lesser half. That's all down to John's decision that we have. He pushed the, you into it. And he it was pushed worth me into it. it. And it was totally worth it, yeah. So. <laughs> Check out the off-screen extended podcast edition for more off-screeny goodness. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off-Screen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back. I love a bit of Avengers. Yeah. It's a really good movie. It is. It, it's not bad, is it? It's got not some rewatchability. Too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> so, uh, box of us top five. Should we clear that for the week? Let's do it. Let's get it on. Number five. Flatliners. Which nobody saw. And well, to I mean, clarify, we mean Flatliners 2017. Right, okay, here's the funny thing, because obviously we didn't get to do a review because they did not press show it, mm. right? They didn't show it to any critics Shocking. at all. So any critic who saw it had to do it on their own dime, this myself included. Um, and boy, was it not worth it. <laughs> it really wasn't worth it. And um, yeah, Greg and I just went and caught it on Friday afternoon, and I don't think either of us was particularly enchanted. But it's got Juno in it. Right, so here's the funny thing with it. You know those orange adverts we used to get uh, where they had the, yes. the, the movie pitch Before guy? the movies, yeah. Before exactly. the movies. We used to get jokes like, we'll make the fourth in the trilogy. Right, imagine that scene... But they're pitching this movie, okay? Mm -hmm. He comes in and he says, okay, I've got an idea. We make flatliners, right? But instead of brick and neon, neon, this time we do chrome and LED. And these kids hump. And yeah, and, and I feel like that's the Orange Wednesdays ad that would have created this movie. <clears throat> and it's really no more imaginative than that. Apparently, they have deleted a scene in the film that explicitly sets it up as the sequel to the original. Uh, and if it, with that scene gone, all you've just got is Kiefer Sutherland turning up three or four oh, he's times. He's actually in it. He's actually in it three or four times. They never acknowledge who he is. So he's not the same character. He, well, this is the thing. Well, he he seems to be, but they never acknowledge it. Hmm. And I think there's a scene that kind of tells you that. Um, also, it's just ridiculous that these kids are doing the same thing that he was 20 years ago, and it never comes up. Strange. So, yeah, it is really, really lazy and uninspired. I can't tell who it's for, except for people who really love the production value of The Flash and Arrow and The Vampire Diaries and basically every CW show that's filmed in Vancouver. Um, shout out to John's dad. Shout out to John's dad, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the problem is it has no more ambition than that. It's pretty ropey. It really, I mean... Does it flat? Line. It does. It's a very <laughs> fitting title. Do we have any tweets on this matter? I must ask. We do, and I have to say, Twitter pretty much agrees with you. So, oh, good. Um, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad the public and I are in line for a change. Yeah, so we've got a, a tweet here from Sean Sheehan BA. Okay. Uh, and he says, went to see Flatliners. It's the single dumbest film ever made. Light your money on fire before going to see it. Funnily enough, uh, we were talking about this uh, the other day, and uh, Kermode's response was, does anyone even remember Flatliners? Of course it's, <laughs> of course, no one's going to see it. But you know what? It's made half a million pounds, so I think they'll call that a win for now. Number four. Goodbye, Christopher Robin. 
more tea, Vicar. It, it's it's very much a stiff upper lippy, you know, sort of. Oh, we need a poo, sir. May I have a scone? <laughs> um, I like a Donald Gleason in it, and I I, I like. Actually, no, no, I like Donald Gleason in it. That's about it. It's kind of charming for the bits that they allow Donald Gleason to be Donald Gleason and, and enjoy himself as A. A. Mill. The problem yeah. is the rest of it. It just. It's very much a film that has been hacked to death after the fact. The third act has been reduced to about 10 minutes at the end. Mm. And even then, you kind of come away from it thinking, well, that can't possibly have happened because it's ridiculous. It's meant to be the real story as well, It's though, meant right? to be the real story. It wants to be Finding Neverland. It's not. It's certainly no saving Mr. Banks. And really, I just come away from it thinking, if you give me a, a similar film next time about the guy who wrote... I don't know, Bambi. I feel like even that would feel less of a stretch than this one. I don't think I'd ever watch that. I can't even watch Bambi. I feel like that story is going to be like the true story of a guy and his beloved, uh, his beloved pet deer who died. Yeah. (laughs) So what's Twitter got the matter? Well, people seem to really like this thing. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Um, so we've got at Mark Shep uh, underscore LCFC. Okay. I guess that's a football club. Leicester City. Could be. Sure. And know. he says, Goodbye, Christopher Robin was the biggest emotional roller coaster I've ever been on. Incredible film. The kid's adorable man. Great actor. Oh, good lord. No, Will Tilston is truly terrible in this. <laughs> Honest to God, he's absolutely awful. On is which... he as bad as um, the girl that played Sophie in BFG? Because I hated that performance. I know you did. I disagree. Um, no, he's more annoying. Number three Victoria and Abdul. Uh, I love Victoria. I love Abdul. I'm particularly a big fan of Bertie, though, uh, who's, of course, Eddie Izzard. I think he steals yeah. this film, which I found very, very good. I thought it was really funny, really soulful, really cheerful, and until it wasn't. Oh. And then when it wasn't, it really – that, that was the big – I think that's what your last tweet guy was talking about. This is the emotional roller coaster, mm. not Christopher Robin. Yeah. No, Chris, you can give Christopher Robin a send-off and just go on this. This has far more of an emotional wallop than Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Um, I really liked it. I think it is a, a case of uh, – Good cast of, of good solid casting, a screenplay that knows its station, it knows what it wants to be, it injects just the right amount of gravitas in it, and yeah, I'm sold. Does Twitter agree with me at all? They do, I have to yes. say. So I've got a tweet here, and I've no idea how to say this person's uh, name, but at Itulnaya, sure, it, okay, I'll go with it. Uh, and she says, "OMG, go see Victor and Abdul. Fabulous. Bring tissues. Dame Judi Dench is resplendent." But Ali Fazal will absolutely steal your heart. He's just got like a massive Hollywood agent as well. Oh, well. So obviously this this film's had an impact. We will see him in other things. Well, I don't think you describe him as resplendent, however. Well. Even though he absolutely deserves it. Number two. Hiya, Georgie. It. I love it. I like it. I really like I, it. I didn't love it. I liked it. I, actually, I really liked it. And as more time has gone by, I love it more and more and more. Now I actually love it. I do want to go and see it again. I've only mm. seen it the once. Oh, well, same, same. So, yeah, I'd like to see it again. Let's go together. Let's just do that. Um, I really say I really liked it. I thought it had a really, really confident and abrasive uh, sensibility that it really needed. The fact that this is someone's second movie is astounding. Yeah. Um, it's, I think Pennywise is really well cast. I think that performance is it's genuinely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think it's so brilliant. I think it'll actually hurt him going forward when he tries to do regular non-makeup enhanced roles um, because no one will know it's him. True. Which, which is going to be the thing. I think if you try to sell an action movie with this guy, it's like, hey, it's the dude who played uh, Starting It. And you're like, who? We don't recognise him. Okay. He's going to have to dye his hair red and just kind of shave back the hairline. He's going to have to be a ginger forever. 
This guy has to be a ginger forever now. He's basically screwed himself. Like, no matter what his hair colour, he has to be ginger now. But ginger pale all the time. Anyway, um... Uh, yeah, so the kids are mostly good, except for Finn Wolfhard, who sucks for the first half of the movie, and then when they give him something to do, he's, he he's all right. Good. And he's good, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, the chills are there, the atmosphere's there. The scares aren't necessarily there, but True. the chills and the atmosphere are. And that's, frankly, that's the best result, I, I think, from a Stephen King movie. Stephen King movies aren't outright horror films. They never have been. Stephen King is all about atmosphere, and this film nails that. True, true. So, any tweets for me? We do. So, uh, one that I enjoyed from at Corvains underscore three. And he says, the It movie was creepy, funny, and emotional as F. The feels. Was the as F as feels? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) We'll we'll just leave that there. Number one. Maketh. Man. It's Kingsman, the Golden Circle. And I'd rather watch Men in Black 2 again. <laughs> I'd rather watch G.I. Joe Retaliation again. I'd rather watch... What's an awful sequel? I'd rather watch Smurfs 2 again. Not Smurfs 2. I'd rather watch the Smurfs 2 again than ever see Kingsman, the Golden Circle again. I thought it was abhorrent. I thought it wasn't funny. I thought it wasn't entertaining. I thought it was uninteresting. I thought it was uh, actually kind of nasty. It turns out that if you take the first movie Mm. and you remove the sharpness and the intelligence from the jokes, what's left is actually just, just dark and nasty. And there is a 10 minute long sequence in this movie that I, I think you really could have just release that in cinemas and it would, you would have come away with the same result as actually releasing the entire film. And no, I think it is truly one of the worst films of the year. Oh, I think yeah. that it's a sequel to a movie as good as Kingsman was is mortifying. I think it proves once and for all that even Matthew Vaughn can't follow up a Matthew Vaughn movie. And we should all be very grateful here and now that he never directed X-Men Days of Future Past because we would have had the similar result by all accounts. Um, <laughs> And no, no, I just, I, I think that should be the rule. Matthew Vaughan movies do not get sequels. This is the rule. This should Even be the me. rule for, forevermore. I don't care if he does Flash Gordon. I never want to see Flash Gordon too, no matter who makes it. Because even Matthew Vaughan can't make a decent sequel to a Matthew Vaughan movie. Look at Kick-Ass 2, which, incidentally, is a better movie than this. Eesh. So what's tw- I'm sure, I know Twitter loves it. Please give me, give me one of the tweets that tell well, me it's amazing. Twitter loves it, and last week I was telling you as such, so I thought I would find someone who might agree a little oh, more with you. Oh, God. You found a sane person? I found a you sane person. You found a sane person on Twitter? <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. So this Talk is about ice skating up hill. Reviews. Okay. Hammy reviews. Well, there you go. That's okay. The reviews based on pop <laughs> He says, "Well, Kingsman: The Golden Circle was a bit of a mess, wasn't it?" I think that's understating it somewhat dramatically, but yeah, I it's just awful. I mean, genuinely, I didn't laugh once. I really Bad didn't. Times. I mean. And I say not laugh once. This is an action comedy that goes on for two and a quarter hours. It's now, long. Was the yeah. first one that long? I think the first was just a shade over two hours, like a minute or two over two hours. Mm. But this way, I think I mentioned this when I did the review. Um, there was a point in the film in which I, uh, I, I checked my watch. Because I just I had to I had to know how long how much longer was left. Ultimate sign of boredom. Yeah, and do you know that movie The Spirit? I checked my, my yeah. watch in The Spirit once. We were fifteen minutes into the movie. That's really bad. Yeah, that's how bad The Spirit was. <laughs> uh, but you know what? At least it starred the man who should be Batman. Um, this movie, okay. I checked. Yeah, I checked my watch because I thought this has got to be nearly over. There was an hour and a half left. That is bad. That's terrible. 
But do you know what? The money that it's making, I would not be surprised if we get Kingsman 3. Oh, I wouldn't be terribly surprised at all. And I just, I really hope we don't. I, I mean, I this really is don't. what, week number two, is it? Yeah. And it made over two, four two, million. Two, yeah. Give me some film news to cheer me up. Is there anything? Just give me like a 30 second. Uh. Well, I'll give you, a, well, this one I'm really excited about. Okay. And it's something that's been talked about and talked about and debunked and da 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 but it's finally apparently happening. And you tell me it's not fake news, Okay, please. all right. Hocus Pocus. Right, okay. This story has evolved in the couple of days since it came out. Oh, man, no. Right, there, there is a Hocus Pocus 2 being made. Oh, so it is 2, it's not a reboot. Well, no, actually, that's the thing, right. There is a second Hocus Pocus being made. Okay. It is a reboot. Okay. It is being made for television. Oh. Yes, and it will not start any of the original cast. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. That's a shame, isn't it? But is it meant to be the same character? I have no idea, to be honest. The the, the story came out because the director of the first movie had said, uh, it is being worked on, as far as I know, uh, they, th- that, th- that cast will come back. And then within 24 hours, it had been changed to, yes, it's being done for television, that cast won't be back. Which one ruined it? Because my money's on Sarah Jessica Parker. I'd imagine it would just cost too much to get Sarah Jessica Parker back now. What? Is she famous anymore? No, but she's one of those actresses who has that sort of weird value of her own her own work. Mm. I mean, she's on, she's on HBO now. She's got an HBO series called uh, Divorce. But, Sounds uh, about right. Yeah. Oh, incidentally, uh, speaking of Sir Jessica Parker, apparently, as of this week, Sex and the City 3 is dead. It's never going to happen. Thank you, God. <laughs> I was expecting you to have an ident there of ding dong. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy that I never have to sit through another god awful sex in the city. That, that second, second one, one is, oh my God, it's so bad. It's one of those films where you, like, I don't know, where you feel like, am I actually watching the film here? I, I reached a point with the second one when I was just rolling my eyes thinking, I'm genuinely watching a movie in, what was it, 2009? Uh, 2009, 2009, I'm genuinely watching a movie in which a wealthy, a, a wealthy middle-aged white woman is complaining because her husband bought a TV instead of jewellery. First world problems. Yeah. I mean, you could literally have called that movie hashtag first world problems. See, I'd and- be the opposite way around. If John bought me jewellery over a TV, I'd be upset. <laughs> You, you would, you would, you absolutely would. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, where's my 4K? <laughs> right, so uh, let's do a review real quick then. Let's talk about The Glass Castle. Let's do it. Okay, so The Glass Castle, which is based on a novel of the same name, true story, uh, biography. Um, this is the story of a young girl who is raised in a nomadic family. Mm-hmm. Uh, in I think it's in the 60s, 70s. She's raised okay. in a nomadic family. Um, her father is quite clearly mentally ill in some unspecified specified way in ways that involve him disappearing for days at a time uh drinking and getting into physical altercations like that Mm -hmm. um and he basically keeps dragging his family around the country living in squats effectively and raising them as sort of raising his family his his kids as dreamers and he himself never really working never having any money fancying himself as a sort of artist of the world type he's played by woody harrelson and nice 20 years later, once one of the daughters is all grown up, she's Brie Larson in 1989, I think, although it looks like about 1986. Um, A good year. A good year. And uh, really, it's about how in her adult years, she tries to reconnect and straighten out her her, her parents' lives. Mm -hmm. We have a clip of her meeting with her mother for the first time in many years. The mother, incidentally, is Naomi Watts. And here is their lunch date. Your dad said he saw you pass by in a cab the other night. Acted like we weren't even there. You shouldn't be ashamed of us just because we choose a different lifestyle than you. Being homeless in New York City does not count as a lifestyle choice. Well, if we heard from you more, you'd know that we found a lovely place on the Lower East Side. 
Lori says you're squatting in an abandoned building. That does not sound safe, Mom. When did you lose your sense of adventure? I have a little bit of money now. I can help you if you want. Mm-hmm. We're fine. You're the one who needs help. Look at you. Your values are all confused. Okay, so funny thing about this. In the actual true story, um, they were on the run from the government, the family. Oh. And, yeah, that's not really a factor in the film. And, no, no. Credit credit to him, Woody Harrelson is going through this this renaissance in recent years, mm. and I'm very glad that he is because I think Woody Harrelson is a genuinely terrific actor. He's fantastic, um, and I think he's one of the few who can do comedy and do drama and do the dramedy in between yeah. really, really well. Yeah. And I think he's absolutely heartbreaking here. I think the problem is that the film around him is in no way up to the quality level that he is. And this includes, unfortunately, Brie Larson, who I want to just remind you, less than two years ago, won an Oscar for Best Actress. And deservedly so. Deservedly so. And I'd like to point you to the two films she's made since, which are this and Kong Skull Island. And I know both will have been <laughs> both will have been greenlit before she got that Oscar, but hot damn does she need to fire her agent. Never in the history of the Academy has an Oscar winner so badly needed their Marvel movie to come come soon. Oh, yeah, of course, she's Captain Marvel. She actually needs that because it's the only way we know we're going to see a good Brie Larson movie again anytime soon. Do you remember the Book of Henry? Yes. Right? It was about six months ago? Or less than six months less ago. Less than, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three or four months ago. How that was this really dark, twisted movie about child death and paedophiles and attempted murder, but dressed up in a really twee, cutesy package. <laughs> Welcome to the mental health version of that. Oh, wow. This is a story about such themes as, men- as mental health of, effectively, psychological child abuse about the weird love story between a man and his daughter what i know i know and yet it's all played in this cutesy twee thing real arson doesn't seem to know how to play this other than i'm just in a mood uh no emotional range to that i'm just in a mood but when the story calls for it i'll shed a big grudging tear and it feels so mechanical it does feel like she is she's the breed droid it's such a shame when you know she can do so much. I know. She's so much better than this. And I think a, lo- a large part of what's wrong with the film is all down to uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, who's the writer-director on this, who doesn't seem to know how to handle the material. In the same way that Colin Trevorrow didn't know how to handle the Book of Henry, thank God he doesn't have a Star Wars movie in the pipeline because he'd be <laughs> off that by this time next week. He's probably in the pipeline somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm, sure, he- I'm sure in her head Kathleen Kennedy has just fired him from a movie that she never <laughs> hired him on. Um, and you know what? I'll be honest. If I'd made this movie, I would deserve to be sacked as as well um yeah i came away from it thinking if it's a glass castle it's a severely cracked one put it that way with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen the on-screen radio show welcome back so uh should we uh, should we uh, go for the gipper i'm a big fan of the gipper the gipper the gipper you know that's reagan's Nickname. Well, I do now. Okay, well, that was that was his... Did you never watch 30 Rock? Because Alec Baldwin used to habitually refer to him as the Gipper. <laughs> I just didn't know what he was talking about. Well, obviously, I'm obsessed with 30 Rock and American Dad, so I, there's a lot of there's a lot of Reagan in my entertainment. And I've always thought there's, there's a sort of absence, there's a void that needs filling and in, in the sort of the, 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 the cult of Reagan. We need a good mm. documentary. And leave it to my boys at CNN to fill that gap. Because CNN are on a roll lately with the documentary thing. I'll explain why in a minute. Um, basically, this is made to look like an old VHS recording. Ooh. Okay. It is, and for a good reason, the entire thing is archival. There's no modern uh, modern footage, no modern voices, no, no talking, talking heads, heads, nothing yeah. like that. Okay. This is all 
filmed at the time footage. Old stuff. And it begins with a caption that tells us the Reagan administration was the first presidency in U.S. history to exist at a point when video technology had reached a certain technological level and allowed them to document everything. Mm -hmm. Given that he came from a Hollywood background anyway, because obviously Reagan was the actor who became the president and gave us the greatest joke in Back to the Future, um, (laughs) the whole thing was that he understood you should be using this technology to document everything. Right, And we get a lot of that here. It's actually stated that his administration recorded more material than the three administrations before him. So, yeah, and then you, and and it opens, as he's saying this, it literally opens with an address, um, Sununu. Uh, It opens with an address of uh, Ronald Reagan trying to pledge his support Mm -hmm. for a uh, governmental uh, candidate, uh, Sununu, and he keeps getting his name wrong. And we see for the first time these outtakes of Ronald Reagan trying to pronounce the name Sununu? (laughs) Sununu? Sununu. Why did he have to be called Sununu? Actually, something's like, why, why is he called Sununu? Are you, are why is he called Sununu? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'll be honest, I saw it written down, I just thought, Snoo Snoo? So it really is a sort of peek behind the Gipper's curtain, as it were, but it's all using footage that he himself has sanctioned. Why is he called the Gipper? I, I don't, don't know. I don't, maybe because, by all accounts, whenever anyone was in a room with him, all they could do was gip. But, oh, <laughs> but no, we get a lot of opinions of him from that time as right. well, like pundits at the time, what they thought of him, what he thought his legacy was going to be, what the perception of Nancy Reagan was, yeah. things like that. And anyway, we have a clip. I'll play for you now. Together, we'll make America great again. I think appearance is very important, but it's also staging. It's how you stage the message. It's not me, honey. It's a game. That's it. Super! Well, if you'll pardon my stealing a film line, the force is with us. You have stated flatly that you did not trade weapons for hostages. What began as a strategic opening to Iran deteriorated in its implementation. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. So, obviously, I'm guessing you're not overly familiar with uh, with, with Reaganomics and, and the, the Reagan era. Right, so this is uh, the latest CNN documentary. This comes from uh, Sierra Pettigill and uh, Pasha Velez. Um, CNN documentary has been on my mind a lot lately. Because I, I don't know this about me. I watch a lot of documentaries as sort of background uh, viewing, and they almost always wind up sucking me in. Uh, it's, a, it's the best kind of documentary. I know. It's, it's a personality flaw of mine. <laughs> um, but lately, I watched uh, The History of Comedy and a series yeah. called The 90s, mm-hmm. uh, both of which were CNN documentaries and both of which were absolutely brilliant. So when I was sat waiting for this to start, they had to be the press notes. It says on the top, CNN films. Oh, my God. Can't wait. I was overjoyed. Um, Watching the film as well, it does keep that quality level going. It's Mm -hmm. a fascinating documentary. I think it's fascinating because there is no modern context applied to it. Right. And that's something that even the other two CNN documentaries I watched recently had. They had a modern sensibility applied to them. This is very much a, no, this is how it was, and this is how it was seen then. So kind of an unbiased view. Very unbiased. There's no historical historical retrospect applied to it at all. I like documentaries like that. Yeah, this is very much a, 
This is this is then, and that's what they thought of him then. There's no legacy on there, anything mm-hmm. like that. That's all this is. And I very much respected it for that, because I think with Reagan, he's still quite a divisive figure, uh, especially when you start hearing lines like, let's make America great again. When you saw me, I kind of... Visibly, yeah, you literally yeah. gasped, because I think you... Well, it's more, more a look of confusion, I think, than anything else. <laughs> yeah. But yes, you can draw certain parallels, certain aspirational parallels in there with recent events, hmm. which... Uh, well, they, they paint Reagan in more of a positive light, actually, if you do apply that retrospect. And I'm glad that they didn't do that to the film. Yeah. I'm glad the film doesn't have a modern context applied to it because I worry that that would have diluted it and I think now would have overshadowed then. Yeah. And it, having said that, there, there is a level of bluntness to this, which comes out of, you know, at the time, there's no historical whitewashing. There's no, oh, well, you know, he's not with us anymore, so we'll go, we'll go easy on him. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of painting the dead as saints kind of a thing. I there's none of that in there. And I think that having, having, you know, foregone that is the smartest thing this film has done. Um, I was in, I was intrigued by it. I was fascinated by it. I really, I actually want to watch it again. Is this going to be like mainstream release then, or this is the thing? It's a CNN. It's a CNN movie. It's being distributed in this country by Dogworth, which would generally suggest that it's an art house release. Mm. Then again, occasionally a, a Dogworth film does slip through. Things like Blackfish leap to mind. Like that. Yeah, uh, but I would say you're not going to see this on multiplex. I don't say, but if you have got an art house chain near you, you will. In the case of Sheffield, for instance, you'll get uh, Showroom or Curzon yeah. or both. But worth checking out. Having said that, the CNN type documentaries are starting to turn up on TV a lot lately on films like things like Film 4 mm. uh, Blackfish things like that BBC 2 yeah so you will see this on telly I would guess in a year maybe it'll, cool. be, it'll be on a streaming service before then though and I cannot recommend highly enough that you check it out it is definitely worth seeing so give me some news real quick well let's talk about a live action remake that's been written for J.J. Abrams something called Your Name oh yes okay this baffled me right um, you're not familiar with the film then I have I no say. idea I've never seen or heard of it before okay Your Name is an anime movie um, that got reissued actually in August in IMAX. It got tremendously mm. positive reviews in this country from certain critics. From Interesting. Three, I would say, three high-profile critics absolutely loved this film. When's it from? When was it originally out? <sighs> when did I see it? I think it was the end of last year. Mm-hmm. The end, actually, it was press shown at the end of last year. I think it came out a few months after that. Um, it's basically a body swap movie. It's it's a body. So it's a a teenage guy and a teenage girl swap bodies. They wake up. They they keep waking up. They then revert back to their own bodies, and they leave each other messages through a smartphone app. So they're actually communicating with one another whilst they're in one another's bodies. Wait, hang on. So they swap, but they swap back. Yes, it's whenever they go to sleep. Ah. When they go to sleep, they wake up in the other person's body, then they go to sleep again. They wake back up in their own. Sure. Right. That's it. And their connection somehow ties into the arrival of an asteroid that's going to wipe out the uh, entire region. <gasps> da, da, da. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bonkers concept, actually, but it was it was gorgeous to look at. Um, I can see the potential in doing uh, an English-language version that it is live-action. I find strange, but okay. J.J. Abrams is directing it. Fair enough. He's got a handle on the fantastical. Why not? But yeah. Uh, I wonder if this is going to be over at Paramount, though, because I think he owes them one at this stage. I expect as well, though, that this might be another one of the um, kind of whitewashing scandals that comes out soon enough. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, this is totally going to star Nat Wolf. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is Nat Wolf and Lily Collins. You can sort of see that now. 
This Don't is like do it, Hollywood. Yeah, set in Seattle and Chicago, you know, rather than yeah, Japan. Of <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely no, no. the case. But okay, okay. should we talk a real quick one? Should we talk about uh, on the road? Let's do it. What's it about? Okay. Uh, it's about the band Wolf Alice, who, well, I'm going to be... Alice. Exactly. Who, who the hell is Alice? I know. <laughs> um, right. So it, straight off the bat, I'm going to be really honest. You know me in music. I have no idea who Wolf Alice are. Oh, so no. this is a real band. The, the real, they're a real band. This is, this is 80% a documentary. 80%? Oh, eight, 80%. Right. Okay. So do you remember... Did you ever see Nine Songs? Years and years. Right, that was a Michael Winterbottom film. It was a a romance play and an entire relationship played mm-hmm. out in scenes set between live performances by actual bands. Yeah. And what he would do is take the actors to actual gigs and right. film them doing dialogue at an actual gig. Okay. Similar thing here. Michael Winterbottom has inserted actors, two actors specifically, into as a, as sort of management reps right. with this actual band who are on an actual tour. Okay. Right. Uh, I think that's about as well as I can explain it. I'll tell you what. Here's, cue the clip. Have you ever been to Manchester? No. Have you ever been to York? No. Have you ever been to Dublin? Yeah. Have you been to Dublin? No. Wolf <laughs> <laughs> well, Alice! What's it like to be so wanted everywhere you go? Oh, Amazing. <laughs> Have you actually slept? Have you had a drink tonight? No. I'm worried about you not having enough fun. You're better sleeping with your head on that side. Why? If it crash and your head's that way, then your head will get smashed in. This is one very much designed for the audience that liked Nine Songs, but mm. really didn't want hardcore sex scenes to be part of the menu. <laughs> And that's about the best review you can give it, because actually not dissimilar in many other ways other than the removal of the graphic sex scene, the fact that the graphic sex scenes, because that was the whole thing with Nine Songs, okay. it was unsimulated sex. Um, was it? It was, yes, very obviously. It was mm. very, very obviously completely real. I find that a strange concept. Yeah, it was very weird to see in the context of a narrative film, put it that yeah. way. Well, a narrative film in the English language, anyway. Yeah. Um, this has very much all the hallmarks of a Michael Winterbot film. He knows how to shoot these things by now he knows his style this, this is the guy that made 24-hour party people he knows how to film music stuff he does yeah. and he knows how to get the grind the gristle how to make you feel the sweat how to make you just have that stench in the air just wafting through your nostrils mm. he knows how to film that and he's not he's not skipped a beat with that to give him all the credit in the world he's absolutely not missed a step um where it falls apart for me slightly is actually in the narrative portions of it is the wooden nature of it because having you know real world stuff going on around actors you do noticeably feel they are actors you never quite settle into it Mm. and i think that's a shame i also found as well the actual documentary stuff that's going on is interesting enough that it could just have been a tour documentary and i've been fine with it but being that being what it is it feels kind of formless and shapeless and ultimately kind of pointless there's lots of little narrative things the two fictional characters in the middle yeah. of it for instance have a sort of a romance element but it never goes anywhere it never gets any kind of resolution no closure nothing um there's other elements i think the bass player at one point breaks his arm or something um and it's bad for a band. Well, you do think as well, okay, but what, what's the result of this? Nothing. Hmm. This has no relevance to the plot whatsoever, because there is no plot. 
I was just going to say, I, can't, I still yeah. can't really get a grasp on what this thing's about. Well, there you go. But you know what? It's got the atmosphere. It's got the Michael Winterbottom technique down. And uh, I'll put up with more of this if he's going to keep making series of the trip. How about that? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll call it a day on that one. If he keeps making uh, more series of the trip with Rob Ryden and Steve Coogan, I'll, I'll let him have this every five years. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. So, <laughs> we're back. So, should we do... We, we've got to do the biggie. And we'll skip this for the film news bit and just get to the biggie because we're pushed for time. Let's do it. So, Blade Runner 2049 is here. <laughs> how how well do you know Blade Runner, the first one? I'm ashamed to say I've never seen okay, it. Okay, fair enough. How bad is that? Okay, let me give you the Cliff Notes version. It, it was set in 2019. Yep. Uh, Ridley Scott movie set in 2019. Starred Harrison Ford, Sean Young, Rugger Howard, Edward James Olmos. Uh, so many stars in there. Liam Rippey, uh, Daryl Hannah, uh, Adrian Barber. I can go forever. I really mm-hmm. can. Okay, it was an amazing looking film. It was stunning. It was a work of sci-fi art. Mm-hmm. It was a boring movie, but it was incredible. That's the bit. Why, that's why I've never watched yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I love Blade Runner. I'll watch it a billion times, okay. but by Lord, it's boring. Anyway, <laughs> right. So, um, the general plot is replicants are a thing. They were they are androids who are yep. designed to only live for a certain number of years and then die. They are used as slave labor. In the plot of the first movie, uh, one of these has gone rogue. Well, sorry, several of them have gone rogue. They have infiltrated society and a specialized police officer known as a Blade Runner mm-hmm. for no reason other than the fact that it just sounds cool, um, is sent to take them out one by one. That is the plot of the movie. Okay. Okay. Now, here is the plot, spoiler heavy, of Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I ain't telling you. <laughs> I, I am telling you nothing. Okay. I was literally like, "Oh, he's going okay. to spoil right. it." I'll give you I, this is the thing. We are asked. We were asked actually. We would give. We were. We would read out a note from Denis Villeneuve uh-huh. before the film about. Can you please not say certain things? Okay. And the thing is, there's a lot of them. And I'll be honest, I went into the film relatively cold, mm-hmm. and I thought my experience was better for it. So I'm going to give you the coldest, plainest, shortest version of this plot. There's a new Blade Runner. It's 30 years later. Uh, the new Blade Runner is played by uh, Ryan Gosling, because nice. why not? He has an investigation involving replicants, a new iteration, like a, I think it's the third generation long of replicants. Mm-hmm. And the thing he immediately discovers about this, this, this new breed is that there is something that could potentially change the entire world forever. And it's the best looking film you've ever seen. I'll tell you what, here's a clip. Every leap of civilization built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out... We've bought ourselves a war. Right, there's Robin Wright you can hear in there as well. You can hear Jared Leto in there. Right, there is an amazing cast here, and they are in what actually genuinely could qualify as one of the greatest sequels to any movie ever made. And I say that 
with the caveat that this is still quite a boring movie. Oh. Right? <laughs> if, if you don't like Blade Runner, there is not a chance in hell you will like Blade Runner 2049. So you have to have seen Blade Runner. You have to have seen it, and you have to like Blade Runner for what it is. Okay. Okay. There is this weird thing going around this past week uh, with people, you know, talking about uh, uh, Blade Runner 2049 and complaining about it being quite dull. Mm. And they're doing it in the context of the first movie having been this weird action thriller, which it never was. It was a hard-boiled detective, you know, sci-fi detective novel for the screen. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing. Only, guess what? Denis Villeneuve is a better director than Ridley Scott. And he has Roger Deakins. And Roger Deakins is probably one of the... Wait, well, not probably. He he could be the best cinematographer around these days. He's definitely one of them. I'd, I'd go with uh, Roger Deakins, Hoyt Van Hoytema, who did Dunkirk, yeah. and Wally Pfister, who unfortunately gave up doing Christopher Nolan, who used to go and do Transcendence for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> it is gorgeous. Have you ever seen the Twitter account, One Perfect Shot? I haven't. Right, it, it's a Twitter feed that literally just posts amazing looking shots from movies okay imagine that twitter feed as a two and a half hour movie oh man though two and a half hours two and a half hours movie it's not dull dull it's it it is interesting obviously because i've never seen it before it is interesting um the performances are very good um harrison ford is surprisingly good in this actually because he's reprising the character from the first movie i really want to know how they do that don't tell me don't tell me okay i'm confused how but like he's young isn't he no no he's harrison ford as harrison ford as 70 year old harrison ford i thought he was one of these replicant things oh no that's a whole thing that yeah that's a whole theory i'll tell you about the podcast extras how about that Let's okay, it. it's a long-standing thing. Okay, okay. Uh, I say this as someone whose friend is just mortally obsessed with Blade Runner, <laughs> but to the extent of doing documentaries on Blade Runner. Wow. But, no, literally, entire document. Never mind. More anyway. exciting than the film? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, strangely, yes, but not as good-looking. Um, that's it. Don't take this as a date movie unless you happen to be dating someone who really likes Blade Runner, in which Mm -hmm. case they'll love this. But here's the thing with it. It is just an astonishing film. It it is gorgeous. It is enthralling. It Mm -hmm. is an immersive, captivating experience. It is the most visually stunning thing you will see this year that isn't animated. Nice. It is also, weirdly, one of the greatest auditory, uh, auditory experiences? Oral? Not, it's not an oral experience, no, Cal. Um, <laughs> kind or, of oral. Or auditory experience. It is just amazing. The music, the sound mix, the use of sound within it is phenomenal. And I saw this because there was a press show earlier on that was in IMAX. And I, missed I was going to say, I presume this is. I IMAX. missed that out to go and do a Dolby Atmos screening. Do you regret it now? No, not at all. Because the visuals are going to be amazing no matter how you see the film. But I would suggest seeking out the best sound system you can for this. It is really something. You could sit and watch this movie with your eyes closed and just be swept away by it. It is really something. Um, This will make top ten lists easily at the end of the year. Nice. And all this, despite the fact that if Blade Runner bored you, this will put you into a coma. Oh, man. Um, but if Blade Runner didn't bore you and you respect Blade Runner for what it is, congratulations. You've got a sequel that finally lives up to its, its, its predecessor. A sequel that builds on exactly what made the first one great. And that's it. This Take is- that, Kingsman. <laughs> <laughs>
Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Two weeks ago we had Kingsman, now we have Blade Runner. Oh my God, literally worlds of difference. <laughs> now, excuse me, I'll go and cry tears in the rain. So, um, film of the week, we need to pick a film of the week. Oh, shocking. I wonder what it's going to be. Oh, well, actually, that's the thing. I'm going to give it to Blade Runner, um, even though I've been very upfront about the fact that you could sit through this and be bored, senseless. Okay, but yeah, but that's that's a low bar. Yeah, but you'll come away though and still think it was gorgeous. It sounded really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like no other experience I've had this year. So fair enough, really. Awesome. Okay, so uh, next week, some, what's coming up? We've got some interesting stuff and some less interesting stuff. Okay. Okay, so we've got a documentary, Earth, One Amazing Day, Ooh. about that place, Earth. Uh, we've got <laughs> The Ritual, starring that great thespian Rafe Spall. Oh, horror. Is, Horror film, yeah, about boys going on a hiking trip in Eastern Europe, I think. So. Oh, okay. uh, we've got The Party, which I know nothing nice. about, except that it's got a really great cast. Okay. So, yeah. We've got Loving Vincent. Who's which, Vincent? Why do we love him? Van Gogh. Oh. It's Vincent Van Gogh. It's, a, it's, it's a, supposedly a bio... I've actually seen it. It's supposedly a biopic about Van Gogh, mm-hmm. and it's actually animated in the style of Van Gogh paintings. They, Ooh, they filmed it and then rotoscoped it with actual oil paintings. Nice. And it stars Douglas Booth and Aidan Turner and uh, Chris O'Dowd and a whole heap of great actors in there. Ooh. We've also got a horror movie I'm dying to see called Double Date. Double date. Double date, which looks like a very Edgar Wrightish kind of a tone. Oh, okay. Edgar Wright prevenge kind of a tone as well. Uh, we've also got uh, the Lego Ninjago movie next week. Oh man! So this could be awesome. It could also be terrible. <laughs> um, we've also got the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser next oh. week, which I'm looking forward to. I've never seen Hellraiser on a big screen, so no, me neither, that's actually. my final pressure of next week. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and the reason it's my final one is because I will be seeing the snowman the night before Michael Fassbender takes on a serial killer I really thought you meant the animated uh, Christmas classic you really think we're not going to run that joke into the ground (laughs) come on come on you're better than that you you know we're not that good (laughs) so just a reminder on our competition section we have uh, DVDs and Blu-rays to give away they include The Red Turtle they include The Exception they include Song to Song starring the star of Blade Runner 2049 in a less amazing movie and so all those will be found and more on onscreenfilm.com in the meanwhile well this has been a candy store bridge on screen I've been Bangkok I've been Kelly Needham and we'll be back just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way you've been listening to Offscreen for more news and reviews visit onscreenfilm.com Podcast extras then, Ms. Needham. So, should we start with some news? Let's do it. Take me to Newstown. What you got for me? Well, since we were just talking about him, we might as well carry on. Okay. Denis. Denis, Denis, Denis. Oh, Denis, Denis. Okay. Apparently he's been eyeing up uh, the Cleopatra biopic. Yes, this has been around for a long time. Mm. Right, before they had a, seemingly had a script or anything like that, there was just a rumour. This, this goes back about seven or eight years. Really? There was just a rumour. I think it's Sony now. Yes. And I, I remember, I, I might be wrong, but I seem to remember it being Warner Brothers once upon a time. Mm. Uh, an Angelina Jolie starring Cleopatra movie. Oh, wow. And you can kind of see it. I can in, in, see a, in a weird way. Yeah. Although, I, I would maintain, I think now, um, a certain Miss Vikander would be uh, more suited to, but... Uh, I think we'd also be going back down the whitewashing route as well. Well, yeah. But also, Vikander would kind of balance that out a little better than, yeah. Definitely better than Jolie. But, I, mean, I don't get it. I mean... 
I, I obviously I'm a big outspoken. Uh, I'm, I'm outspoken against uh, Antonio Banderas playing Arabs, which he seems to do an awful lot. <laughs> but um, Frida Pinto could kind of because she did play an Arab in a movie with Antonio Banderas. Did she? Black Gold. Ah, mm. ah. yeah, remember that one? Yeah, we all kind of forgot about that. My dad didn't. He loved it. Well, there uh, you go then. Yeah, if he uh, loved it, then she can play off. We should mention, the, our listeners probably don't know my dad's Egyptian, so that we are. Presumably not. Although, I, now. I did point out to him uh, recently that uh, there is an excessive number of films this year dealing with uh, Cairo in the last decade. Hmm. Yeah, this be a thing. We forgot to include Six Below in the films that are out next week. The Josh Hartnett one. Oh. It's Josh Hartnett stuck on a mountain. So it's like the mountain between me rather than the mountain between us. But who knew he was still an actor? Only Josh Hartnett. He just always had it within him. Yeah. Oh, sorry, before we get to that, let's talk about Denis Villeneuve. Yes. Uh, yeah, Denis Villeneuve is looking to direct that now, but let's be honest, he's he's got a very full workload. I mean, there's still that rumour that he might go Bond, mm-hmm. you know, in which case that would have to happen before he did Dune, which having now seen Blade Runner, I really want to see him do. Wait, can we just go back to Bond? Who is Bond now? I, I can't. Uh, Daniel Craig's doing it one more time. He's doing it one more one time. One more time, okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. And I would love it if that was the that was the title. One more time. <laughs> you know? Who would sing it this time? <laughs> Daniel Craig is uh, Ian Fleming's James Bond in One More Time. <laughs> that would absolutely work. And uh, I don't know who you get a song. To, who you would get to do the song nowadays? I don't know. Have you ever do you ever noticed that every time there's a new Bond movie, it, it's usually that you can usually set your watch by how long it takes for someone to some someone to print a false report that Beyonce is doing the theme song. Yes. Every time now. Maybe they would just flip it out and she would actually do it this time though. Maybe. Um, there, was, uh, there was another rumour that they were going to get Adele back again. Oh, but it's been done. I mean, she was amazing. Not unheard of though. Shirley Bassey did a, did a couple. Maybe they should so. bring her back. <clears throat> bring Shirley Bassey back now. Wow. <laughs> that would be something. That really would be something. I'd like to see Tina Turner do another one. Oh, that'd be amazing. Because I love Goldeneye. I love everything about Goldeneye. Yes. But uh... I think it's pretty much the only one that I can stand to watch. Really? Sorry, Bond fans. I'm sorry. Uh, do you know what? Goldeneye is is one of three movies in a row, mm. uh, Bond-wise, that I actually really like. And for me, perfectly represent Bond. And that's uh, Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, Will's Not Enough. And I think they make a kind of really good little trilogy, okay. all, all of themselves. Because Pierce Brosnan's Bond does strangely evolve through them. And then he gets to die another day and becomes a completely different fictional cartoon character. Shocking for Bond. <clears throat> Shocking for Bond, I know. <laughs> becomes a Roger Moore Bond again. Um, but yeah, so Denis Villeneuve is, is apparently Daniel Craig's choice for that. But he wants this Cleopatra one. It is based on upcoming uh, biography that's been written. I think something called Cleopatra, A Life. Okay. Uh, which is meant to be sort of the definitive text on the life of Cleopatra. But the story is meant to focus on Cleopatra's legacy as a brilliant tactician and a master negotiator. Ooh. Which, if you ever saw this, did you ever see the series Rome? Yes. No, I really liked Rome. You got a bit of a taste of it in that, if you yeah, remember. Yeah. yeah, I really liked how they depicted Cleopatra in that. So, so this would be the movie version. Sort of movie equivalent, yeah. Mm. I mean, because I think the only thing we remember the Elizabeth Taylor one for, really, now, is the spectacle. Probably, uh, yeah. No one, you don't really remember that film for anything else. To be fair, we've not seen anything on Cleopatra really for a long time. Well, so. sixty years, really, yeah. isn't it? Could be pretty good. Mm. I imagine it's probably still a while away, though. Oh, like I say, I mean, he may have Bond. He's definitely got Dune, mm. and and then that. So that that's like six years. Mm-hmm. Well, because Bond has a release date, 
at the it? end. Bond has a release date for uh, end of t- 2019. Okay. So it's if Denis is going to do that, it has to be next. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it would, we'll see then. would mean that you wouldn't see Dune until about 2020, 2021. Yeah. And then Cleopatra would have to be like 22, 23. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny how these things Still work. timelines. Anything else? Anything else yeah, in the old so uh, Ike Barinholtz, he's going to make his directorial debut. Yes, you got to remind me the title. And that the one, Oath. I, the, uh, right, okay. So, this is basically a, a holiday comedy. Oh, okay. Right. This is, I think it's is it thanks I think it's Thanksgiving. I don't know why it sounds like a horror movie. The Oath. It, it does, not it sound like it sounds like a purge sequel. Yeah. Yeah, the purge <laughs> the oath. Right. So he's doing the oath which is set in a sort of not a dystopian future but <clears throat> a, a, a future America in which citizens are required to take a citizenship oath. Mhm. And I don't know how this ties in, but it's just about a family man trying to survive the Thanksgiving holiday with his family, just putting up with them. Right. So I don't know how those two elements work their way into one another, but, you know. Is he going to star in it? He's going to star in it, produce it, write it, and direct it. So, yeah, it is pitched as a high-concept indie movie. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I like Eric Bike Baronholtz quite a great deal. And... I, d- I think he's great. He's, <clears throat> he's one of those actors, like, who can pull off being the really goofy, kind of unattractive, slubby guy, which he is in a lot of films. Bad neighbours. But then, yeah. Yeah. But then be the love mm-hmm. interest in Sisters, and you kind of find him attractive. Well, I, I mean, he didn't do much for me, I'll be honest, but uh, I was I was, I was, was too distracted by Amy Poehler and the short shorts and the high tops. Oh, I, <clears throat> I mean, that was, that, that, was a, that was a very alluring dance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like Baron Holzer. I mean, he's one of those actors who turns up in things and you think, oh, thank God you're there. I feel a little bit better about the schlock that I'm watching knowing <laughs> that you're there. Uh, Suicide Squad leaps to mind. Oh, yeah, true. He's the guard, isn't he? Yes, I blocked out that he was in that. Oh, God. yeah, but you know that moment that he's in, you're like, oh, okay, things might look up now. They and then not. you realise that they do not. <laughs> also, Snatched, the uh, Amy Schumer one where he's the brother. Oh, of course. Yeah, and he's arguably the best character in he's, that film. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible film, but he's brilliant in it. I could live without ever seeing it again, if I'm honest, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Shall we know. talk about another sequel? What, what sequel have we got now? I, you can't just say a sequel, because there's a 96 sequel. sequels at any point. Specifically fine, uh, Coming to America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Coming to America. So th- this is... Did it need a sequel? It, it didn't. It never needs a sequel. But it, a rumour about a Coming to America sequel comes up about once a year now. Okay. It, it's like clockwork. Although this time around seems to be the, the most developed that the rumour has ever been. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it's Kenya Barris yeah. who makes Blackish. Blackish. Exactly. Um, he, uh, he was, I, I watched him recently on that uh, History of Comedy documentary because he was talking about, he was doing the, the racial episode. Okay. The episode that deals with the races, racism in comedy, mm-hmm. uh, race in comedy. And he was he was talking about you know, Blackish and what it represents. And um, he's written Shaft as well. Oh. The upcoming version, the upcoming reboot of Shaft, which incidentally we found out, I think yesterday, Netflix are going to be releasing worldwide. So, yeah, more news that ties into that in a minute. (laughs) But Kenya Barris is going to uh, co-write a Coming to America sequel as well. Now, there's no word on whether or not Eddie Murphy or... uh, What's his bloody name? Oh, man. Oh, Arsenio. Arsenio Hall. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, whether or not they will return. Although you'd imagine they'd have to. Or at least cameo. They'd have to at least cameo. I'm going to assume that if you made a... It needs to be a reference somehow. If you're going to make a sequel to that now, I'm going to assume the concept would be it's Eddie Murphy's son doing a similar thing. I guess. Or is that too obvious, though? I can think... Maybe it's his daughter. 
his daughter that would work <laughs> although i can think of a way to invert that mm-hmm. quite well and have him actually just be whereas it was eddie murphy who wanted to go to america yeah. have it basically this time around be a daughter who really doesn't want to go to america but is sent anyway Ooh. Okay. yeah but uh, I have a feeling as well there's going to be a wealth of material for a Coming Into America sequel that you could mine post-Black Panther. When Black yes. Panther comes out, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of stuff about sort of uh, uh, reclusive African nations and America that you'll be able to mine a lot of comedy out of. Yeah. I can yeah. imagine it having a very different tone, though, oh, yeah. making it these days. Yeah, I think, I think nowadays it would have to be edgier and more, sat- more satirical. Yeah, exactly. And if you've got someone like Kenny Barris on there, do you watch Blackish? Occasionally. I think if you've got someone like Kenya Barris on there, that suggests the, the IQ portion of it will be upped ever exactly. so slightly. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, and there's, also. There'll be a lot of commentary going on in there. There will be, yeah. And I'm sure there'll be a cameo for Anthony Anderson somewhere. So, which I'm not against, if not I'm honest. It. I'm also, I'm very jealous of his hair in blackish. I wish I could pull that off. But. I don't even know what to say. No, no, okay. I, you, I mean, you can't see me with that hair right now. But, so about the Netflix thing. So Netflix yeah. have apparently started something of a revolution uh, within the ranks of the Academy for Motion Picture yes. Arts and Sciences. So basically, the people that run the Oscars. Yes. They assembled hundreds of their members this past week to address one key issue. What was it? What is <gasps> a movie? That's deep. That is deep, isn't it? It's very philosophical. Basically because Netflix have substantially changed the game. Yep. And the, the, uh, Ampass, I'm just going to call them the Academy for the purpose of conversation. Mm -hmm. What they're commonly referred to anyway. Um, the Academy are concerned that Netflix's tactic of booking their films into a cinema for one week, Mm -hmm. which tends to be like the, uh, I think the Curzon had Ocha, for instance, for a week. And that was seemingly worldwide. Uh, Well, it was in the UK anyway. Um, they were concerned that doing that cheapened the Oscars because even though they were released in cinemas, they technically qualify for an Oscar. The Academy's worried that that cheapens the Oscars. They're also very concerned about uh, long-form series that are then re-edited into films that then stand a chance of winning an Emmy and an Oscar, which very nearly happened this last year. Did it? OJ Made in America. Which is a series in its original form. That's how I saw. I watched it as a series, and then there is a a, a feature film edit that then got nominated nominated for the Oscar. Who'd have thought Netflix changing the game? Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, they they really are just just changing the play entirely over at Netflix. It's a very different world. Well, it's stuff like the Oscars. They're just going to have to get with it. The world is different. This is the thing. Um, Netflix had a hard time at Cannes this year. Yes, they did. Because they, they premiered Okja and the, their logo was booed. I was going to say, but people loved the film, so they came out of it like, oh, it was amazing, people but they really booed the, the fact they that They booed the logo, yeah. And, you know, that's snobbery. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's archaic of, of a dying institution that uh, needs to get with the program. I agree. Right. I think the I, I'm sorry, but in a perfect world, they would need to accept that a feature film should be released on high pro on high concept streaming platforms the same day it comes out in cinemas, and that you charge a premium for it. Exactly. There's plenty of people that would do it as well. Well, this is apparently the thing they're trying to do now. There was a, apparently they were trying to launch it this coming January, but it hasn't uh, hasn't been the deals the deals haven't been sealed yet because apparently Apple wants to run it. Hmm. So <laughs> let them. Let him do it. Let him. If you want to charge me 50 quid for a film I can watch within 48 hours in my own home and I don't have to put up with the general public, I'll, I'll pay that. 
you just have a pie. You do, don't you? You just like, get all your mates together. Exactly. And be like, hey, we'll watch. Well, I don't think you do it for like Force Awakens or anything. Like that. Oh no, you I wouldn't mean, do it for a big tentpole there's movie. There's certain films that you want to yeah. go to the cinema. See. You, you're not going to do it with a Marvel movie no. or, or like you know whatever Christopher Nolan's next one is. No, no, no. But uh, you know, I, I got like uh, a, a big, a mainstream comedy. Yes. You do for something like that, wouldn't yeah. you? You do that for something like uh, Daddy's Home or Baywatch Two. I was going to say Bad Neighbors. Yeah. Or, yeah, something like that. You'd absolutely do that. You get all your mates together and you pay. You you pitch in, wouldn't you? And, exactly. and you watch it together. They yeah. bring the food and the drink. You pay for the movie. That's totally it. Yeah, exactly. Bring the drink, and I'll, I promise I'll drink more than fifty quid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> no, no, you, you absolutely know I would. So let's talk about, uh, there is a theatrical reissue this week, and that reissue is none other than the classic Cowan Brothers movie, Blood Simple. Tell me about it. Right, have you, you've never seen it, I presume? No. Okay, so this is a 1984 film. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's not the first film by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen. I'm, I'm going to look that up as I go. I'm pretty sure. But, uh, okay, hang on, hang on. Let's have a gander. Known for, come on, come on, IMDb. There was a lot of films on here. They did a lot of films. They, they really did a lot of films. <laughs> hang on. Uh, director, let's go. Sort by, all the way down to the bottom. And no, no, it's near the, it's their first feature. Okay. It is their first feature. So 1984, it is the story of, um, of a man who discovers his wife uh, has taken a lover. He's played by Dan Hadaya. She's played by young Francis McDormand. Mm. Um, he discovers that Francis McDormand is stepping out on him, hires a detective played by M.M.A. Walsh to um, first to surveil them and, and confirm his theories, but then hires the detective to kill him, to kill them both as well. Uh, however, the detective has his own agenda and sets in motion a sort of who's double-dealing who mm. sort of a scheme. I tell you, we've, we've got a clip. Hang on. i got a job for you. <laughs> oh, well, if he's right and it's legal, I'll do it. It's not strictly legal. Well, he's right, I'll do it. It's in reference to that gentleman and my wife. The more I think about it, the more irritated I get. Could you tell me what it is you want me to do, or is it a secret? It's no joke. Right, so I was one year old when this came out, a 1984 movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's a film that I saw for the very first time on VHS when I was like 12, 13, when I first went through my I'm going to watch all the greats. All the movies. Yeah, um, around that point. Back when Tarantino was good. Um, <laughs> you know. He was good? <laughs> yeah, once upon a time, Tarantino was really something. But, you know, you start to look into filmmakers around that time as well, and you start to look into your, your Cohen brothers, and you start yeah. to look into your uh, your uh, your Rob Reiners, and your, your your Peter Bogdanoviches, and your James Camerons. Well, not James Cameron, I had him all along. But, um, yeah, so when it comes to Cohen brothers, though, the logical place you're always told to start is Blood Simple. Now, mm -hmm. this is – it's been reissued um, – it's now, what is it, 30 – well, it's one year younger than me. It's exactly 33 years old. Um, it, it's been restored. It's in 4K. And this is apparently a director's cut. 
Okay. Um, now, I didn't particularly notice a difference. The version I, I had always seen when I was younger, and I've seen it a, a few times over the years since, I've never noticed anything added or taken away from it. Now, this mm. apparently is the director's cut, so it is something different to what I've seen. But I didn't necessarily recognise those things. Apparently, it's it's down to trimming. The director's cut is actually shorter. Huh. Um, the performances in it are all are all quite engaging. They're all quite they they, they hold up. They're yeah. still as good as they were then. Um, as far as it being, if if you release this in cinemas today, mm-hmm. uh, if it's, like say it sat on a shelf, it'd never seen a release, and you put this in cinemas today and told people, "Hey, it's the new Coen Brothers movie," they would say, "Oh, okay, yeah, clearly it is a Coen Brothers movie. It's got the same signature style they have always had. Yeah. It doesn't have the the sense of humour that." That dark humour that they yeah. they've always sort of pioneered, even when they go sort of slapstick and hysterical with it, like in the case of things like the Big Lebowski and, and Hail Caesar and things like that, um, this skews more towards the No Country for Old Men spectrum <laughs> of Coen Brothers' uh, idea. And um, yeah, it, it's a film that do, it does hold up. But I do think if you know, I prefer my Coen Brothers with a little bit of that dark, dark edged humour. Yeah, me too. Having said that, I'm aware that they were not there yet at that time in their career. As an example of what made the Coen Brothers the force to be reckoned with that they eventually became though, this is this is where you start. It holds up as that marker, that place that you go to really, really discover the Coen Brothers. Cool, I'm putting it on my list then. Put it on your list, along with Blade Runner. And <laughs> for, shame. <laughs> for shame. You know the classic films you've never seen. Oh, I know, there's quite a lot of them, to be honest. You know what's annoying is every time you recommend some fluff rom-com to me, I, I do watch it. And you love it. No, I didn't. I didn't love Just Go With It, thank you very much. <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy The House Bunny, I'll give you that. Yeah, the house. I actually, classic. I caught about ten minutes of it on on Now TV Live the other day, and I didn't realise that the pregnant girl in the sorority is Catherine McPhee from Scorpion. Oh well, there uh, you go. me neither. I was like, oh my, my god, it's, it's, it's Catherine McPhee. It's Paige. <laughs> but no, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm going to rewatch that film now. I still stick by Just Go with it. Well, yeah, for but- an Adam Sandler film. No, 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 just, 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 just I'm no. sorry, I'm sorry. But no, um, as far as, uh, <clears throat> as far as the Coen Brothers, you go, you, you look at something like Blood Simple and it immediately becomes obvious to you, like, okay, I can see now how you go from that to Miller's Crossing, because mm-hmm. see how you can go from that to then go to Barton Fink and the Hudsucker Proxy, you go into this more surreal comedic stuff that they yeah. then did, and then how they came out of that and started merging the surreal stuff with the darker edge stuff, and we started getting things like the Big Lebowski, and and it all comes up to now. Okay. You can, you, yeah, it, it's one of those things that it, it's it's a fascinating way to view the evolution of a filmmaker. But is it an entertaining <clears> film? <throat> yes, yeah, it absolutely is. There you go. Yeah, it does hold up, but as I say. Just not got that humour that you've come to expect. Then again, neither did no control, man. So, yeah. Back to the news. Let's do it. Back to the news. What we got? Oh, we never talked about the Russia thing last week. Exactly. I was just going to say, we- so you've seen a film that has a bit of controversy in Russia. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I keep getting this because we did talk about the Russian it thing last we week. Did. We did. talk about that. How did we not connect the dots on that one? Russia, uh, Russian Burger King wanted to ban it. Yes. And now Russia wants to ban the death of Stalin. As a right. concept? Well, it did happen, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right, if you're not familiar with it, The Death of Stalin is the latest film by Armando Iannucci. Mm-hmm. Armando Iannucci is obviously the co-creator of uh, Alan Partridge. He is the creator of The Thick of It, In the Loop, Veep. Um, the Death of Stalin kind of fits that sort of mini-franchise yeah. of political comedies that he's got with, only it's set in, in Soviet Russia – and centers around the the death of Stalin. It literally opens with the death of Stalin and then shows you the chaos that erupts around it. 
Is it in English language? It is, and funnily enough, that's one of the gags in it. Oh. Uh, the gag is, because the cast is, uh, you know, Jeffrey Tambor, mm. who's the actor in Transparent, and, oh, yeah. and Hell, the boss in Hellboy, yeah, and, yeah. and Arrested Development. Uh, he's in it, for instance. Uh, Steve Buscemi's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Whitehouse is in it, of all people. What? I know, I know. Jason Isaacs, Rupert Friend, oh, wow. uh, Andrew Riseborough. So there's a mixture of like British and American uh, actors. Cool. And the whole gag is they use their they use their actual accents. Oh, okay. And that's part of the comedy. I, I won't <laughs> I won't spoil it for you, but Jason Isaacs absolutely steals the film with something with with a sort of performance you just don't expect. Ooh, intriguing. Yeah, it really is. It's, Has this been released? Is this out in the cinema? No, I saw it. Uh, I, I had a preview screen the other night. It's, it's been screening for a couple of months now. Right. I think, like, I've, I've, I knew, not in Russia, though. Not in Russia. I knew of screenings <laughs> back in July. It comes out officially here in two weeks' time. Cool. So a week after next, we'll be reviewing it. And, uh, well, spoiler alert, it's getting a good review. It's a good movie. It's a mm. really good movie. A great comedy. Uh, but Russia are a bit annoyed about it. And uh, they have taken it to. Uh, they they they've made official complaints. They want it. Uh, they want to prevent its release mm-hmm. because um, they they claim it's it's anti-Russia. And well, there you go. It's it's an old school farce. I think they're overreacting. Yeah. Um. It's certainly it's not against Russia. It it's a send up. Of uh, of the machinations of politics at that time, how how devious their po- the politicians were against one another, the art yeah. of undermining each other subtly. It's, it's so it could have been done about any country, about any yeah. strong leader, or you, you could you could actually see he could have literally done the death of Hitler, yeah, and just had it be about the last days of the Nazi Party. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a Russian history nerd anyway, <laughs> and so I loved the hell out of it because I, there's a lot. There's a lot of really embedded humour in it. Okay. Gags about things that are going to come decades down the line, things like that, but they're very subtle. And, so yeah. do you have to be a history nerd no, to enjoy no, no, it? No, 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 you don't. But, um, but I, can, I can see if you were a very tetchy country, <laughs> uh, this, this might be enough to offend you, but I would argue that if you are, if, if, you know, if it's something that offends you and you're Russian, that's probably more down to a lack of, lack of a good sense of humour than anything else. We can say that, by the way. I did check our stats earlier. Mm-hmm. I use the stats. We have basically no Rus- Russian listenership, so we're good. Well, it's because you like this film. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, so sorry, Russia. But, sorry, uh, Russia. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You're going to have to enjoy uh, that McDonald's promotion. And uh, and now, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Should we talk about another remake that I really don't understand? Go on. Flight of the Navigator. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. I... Okay. The guy that runs that TV show, Lucifer. Yes, right. which I do enjoy. Do you do enjoy pleasure. it? Okay, I started watching. It's terrible. It is awful, it's isn't it? It is awful. Why is he so camp? I, I, don't, I don't quite know. get that. I don't know. Is it, is it like a supernatural thing that he has the eyeliner? Because I mean, you never see him apply it. It's he, just natural. He just gets out of bed in the morning wearing eyeliner. He's the devil. Okay, weird thing. Anyway, <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't mind the series. Although, uh, just FYI, um, just the new series. Tom Welling's in it, and yeah, I heard it, it, it's it's not good. Why? It, it's not good. For one thing, he's forgotten any any possibility of, of being able to act, <laughs> and also he he's he's seen physical phys- physically seen better days. Ah, oh, is that out already? Uh, the premiere was Sunday night. <gasps> yeah. Need to go on and, Amazon. Anyway, um, yes, I believe Amazon are putting it on week by week. Cool. Uh, again, so anyway, back to um, Flight of the Navigator. Back to Flight of the... So the guy that runs that show, though, yep. is is going to be overseeing a remake of Flight of the Navigator. And apparently, they are keeping it in the, the plot more or less intact. Oh, 
And is it set in the same... They've oh. not really announced this one. It, I would imagine it's just set now. Hmm. But... I don't really understand who this is for. Like, who is asking for this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, did they look at the release of Monster Trucks and think clearly there's an audience there? Yeah, good point. Yeah, they looked at Monster Trucks and uh, The Space Between Us and thought, do you know what, we've got a film that fits right in the middle of those. (laughs) Uh, There's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, there's there's something we can put in there, yeah. (laughs) But uh, The Space Between these two films, we can... Exactly, that's it. But, uh, no. just It's a terrible idea. I don't know why you would do it. But you know what? They've they've remade flimsier things. I mean, well, look, we've got that female-led re- uh, that sort of gender inverted remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels next year. Aren't Are we? we? Oh yeah, uh, with uh, Rebel Wilson and I want to say Alec, it's not it's Anna Kendrick. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Like, Anne Hathaway. I was going to say, is it just pitch perfect? <laughs> no, it's Anne Hathaway, and I think uh, Rebel Wilson, and it's directed by uh, what's his name? Think of it, Armando Iannucci's boy. No, I don't know. Oh God, it annoys me. I've forgotten now. Chris, uh, it'll come to me. Anyway. In your sleep tonight, you wake up. (laughs) It really will. Um, So Daisy Ridley's going to do a movie set entirely within a taxi. Okay. It's called Daddy-O. Daddy-O? Daddy-O. Is that a new app? Uh, Do you know, it does sound like it, doesn't it? Uh, Basically, she's going to play a young woman who gets in a cab at JFK Mm -hmm. to take her to her Manhattan apartment, and along the way has a conversation with the driver in which they map out their uh, their lives, their lost loves, and the effect that their relationships have had on their lives. Is it going to be all, is it going to be like, phone booth where it is literally all in the taxi, or do you think flashback? No, I don't know, actually. Possible. Mm. Possible. I don't know. But it's it's I know it's set largely within the gap, so I think I'd be more interested if there weren't any flashbacks. Yeah. Because that yeah, was the thing about definitely. Phone Booth, you were like, they can't possibly do a film that's literally just a guy in a phone They booth. did. And they did. They did. That was good. Well, I mean to be fair, that, that script had been kicking around for I think thirty eight years. Well, it should be good then by so, then. That script was that was originally written as a Hitchcock script. Was it? That really was. That was written for Hitchcock. Wow. And the the number of people that signed on to direct and star in that movie and then dropped out over these. At one point, we were getting a Michael Bay version of that movie starring Will Smith. Oh, man. I mean, well, that, we looked out then. Yeah, consider the <laughs> fact that that nearly happened. Right? Really? <laughs> um, you, you watch True Blood, don't you? Yes. Right, okay. So you, you obviously know Anna Paquin more than I do. Yes. I just know her as Rogue from the X-Men. Well, uh, she's joined the Irishman. The Irishman. The Irishman. She is. Uh, well, you know about the Irishman. This is Martin Scorsese's upcoming Netflix of film. Of course. Yeah. Is it like a hundred million dollar budget? Thanks, mother. It's right. got uh, De Niro. It's got Al Pacino. It's got Harvey Keitel. It's got Joe Pesci. It's got Ray Romano in it. See Oscars. This is what Netflix is doing. Well, exactly. I'm sorry, but you, you're not going to put this film in front of anyone and then tell them, "Oh, it's a TV movie." Exactly. And this is the argument: "Is oh, it's a TV movie." No, sod off. No, it's not. No. Anyway, Anna Paquin is going to play uh, De Niro's daughter. It's the story of a hitman who is responsible for the uh, the death of Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, good on her. Who's going to be played by, in this version, played by Al Pacino. I don't think I've seen her in anything since True Blood. I'm sure she must have been. <sighs> well, she got cut out of X-Men Days of Future Past. Ah. Because, obviously, there is the rogue cut yes. of that, which amounts to literally five minutes of she steps in to absorb the power of the person mind-probing over and sending him back into the past. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is a small penance to pay for the fact that she's taking over for the character who would have gone into the past had they not decided they needed Hugh Jackman to anchor the film again. Oh, is that what it was it's in the Ellen, It should be Ellen Page who goes back in time, oh, rather than Ellen it. Page beams him back in time. Helping him to go back yeah. in time. But it should be Ellen Page who goes back in time. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, Alexandra Daddario. Yes. 
Alexander Daddario straight after Daddio. Hmm. <laughs> Alexander Daddario is going to star in a movie called I Am Not a Bird. Is, is she not a bird? She's not a bird. Uh, she's a very lovely bird with lovely eyes. I'm she's got amazing eyes. She's got eyes. amazing eyes, hasn't she? They are like piercing eyes. She is all eyes, is the Dario. Um, but actually, I really liked the fact that she got to step well outside the comfort zone with Baywatch. Mm. And that there's that scene in which she's telling off uh, Zach, Zach Efron. And you're thinking, actually, it's fun seeing you do something different like True. this. Yeah. Although you do think she was a bit <clears throat> underused. Oh, totally, totally underused. But... Yeah. It's still pretty good. But yeah, her interactions with uh, with Zephron are pretty good. Uh, she's going to start in I'm Not a Bird. It's an adaptation of the uh, the book uh, Lost Girls and Love Hotels, okay. which is set in Tokyo, follows uh, a girl who's uh, kind of down on the world, kind of searching for herself, gets in with, uh, she finds herself falling for a member of the Japanese mafia. Ooh. And yeah, so that sounds pretty interesting, but it's going to be an actual lead role for her, which is not something she's really had. True, but deserves she Give does, indeed. Uh, Optimus Prime. What about him? Um, he's got a cameo in Bumblebee, apparently. Oh, well, whoop de do. Yeah, whoop de do, Basil. <laughs> <laughs> I do not care in the slightest. I don't care. I really oh, don't. Okay. Here's news I love. Um, right, you know they're doing a, a biopic for Vince McMahon. This is... WWE, WWE. yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so, Mr. McMahon, as he likes to be called, who is, you know, he was the, the founder of WWF, which mm-hmm. then became WWE. He's still a very prominent figure there. He he is to wrestling what Hugh Hefner is to breasts. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a comparison I was expecting. <laughs> Ooh, we have news about him We, as we well. do, yeah. Okay, so Bradley Cooper apparently has been offered the lead. He's not accepted it. Mm-hmm. necessarily, or maybe he hasn't, they're keeping it quiet, but Bradley Cooper has been offered the lead in the Vince McMahon biopic. Please allow me to show you a picture of Vince McMahon and see if you can see Bradley Cooper playing that role. Well, Vince McMahon was clearly behind that casting. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like, yeah. When I look in the mirror, I see Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I feel like that, but it's going to clearly be one where there's going to be a lot of uh, aged makeup effects. Well, they must like have to. I mean, the guy's pretty old. But also, he is jacked. Yes, he's well, creepily jacked. You would expect it, though, in that yeah. field. And also, he has fought Donald Trump. So, huh. yeah, which is did uh, he win? Do you know? I honestly don't know. <laughs> but I have seen him. Th- I think he threw him through a table. But, nice. Uh, yeah, everyone wants to see Donald Trump thrown through a table. I'm but- surprised we don't see that more on like Twitter memes and stuff. Oh, they do. Donald Trump posts them. Really? Donald Trump? Do you not see Donald Trump posted? Like, I'll like, do it before anyone he else removed, does. He removed the logo of the person of the guy he was fighting. And replaced it, moved the head off, and replaced it with a CNN logo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, oh, Hugh Hefner, let's talk about yes. that one. Yes. You're happy about this? Are you happy about this? I, d- I don't get it. Okay, I don't. I don't understand it. Okay, so it, I think Hugh Hefner had been dead for about 24 hours. If that. If that. And uh, so, oh, RIP, big guy. Sorry, forgot. Yeah, um, yeah hmm. Hef's gone. Anyway, um, sad times. Um, <laughs> so, Jared Leto is going to star in a Hugh Hefner biopic directed by Brett Ratner, what? which might be the worst sentence I've ever had to utter. <laughs> I mean, I think crack, crack.com posted the greatest meme, which is uh, Brett Ratner will direct Jared Leto in a Hugh Hefner biopic, and then the, which is a sentence that literally gets worse with each passing word, <laughs> with each subsequent word, which is actually true. It's true. Um, How random is that? Yeah. I mean, there have been murmurs about a Hugh Hefner movie for years, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that there's going to be a film yeah. coming out about him, even though it was kind of... There's an Amazon cool. series. 
Is there? Literally right now. It's I think it's it's just been added this last month or so. There's a Hugh Hefner series that's been added like to... Like a documentary or like a series? Like a series, a fictionalised yeah. series about Hugh Hefner got added to uh, 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 Amazon Prime. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised about that. Mm. It's the Jared Leto thing. I know. And how it, I think he's all like, I really want to get inside <laughs> him. I really want to understand him. Which, of course, you would expect from him. But what a weird person to, I know, to do it with. I know. But, yeah, yeah, I'm sure Jared Leto's going to think ill of spending, you know, a month, like six months in a mansion doing research for all by hanging out with scantily clad women and a bunch of dogs. Ah, that explains it. Yeah. Um, speaking of Jared Leto, by the way, and his his process, <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, Suicide Squad for a must moment. We? Well, unfortunately, we must. Um, if you remember, last year when Suicide Squad came out, mm. um, I'm not sure what music festival it was. But Jared Leto was on stage performing. Is he 30 Seconds to Mars? He's yeah. He was performing with 30 Seconds to Mars, and he made comments to the crowd, um, and they all cheered him on, in which he talked about what a piece of crap Suicide Squad was, and that they duped him into doing it, and blah de He thought yeah. he was making a whole different movie, and la, la, la. Then he did an interview with IGN. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in August. I, lo- I looked this up earlier. He did an interview in August with IGN, mm-hmm. in which he then claimed that uh, he knew that oh, he, he, Suicide Squad was garbage, all the stuff he shot for it they left on the cutting room floor he barely knew of any of his stuff that was still in the movie well to be fair he's not really in right. it he's now claimed mm-hmm. he's never seen suicide squad oh so okay now either he lied publicly twice on the record or he's lying now not sure what that is now his claim now is he doesn't watch anything he's in okay Right, okay. none of his work. He watches. He watches none of it back. Well, I can't blame him for that. But don't make a comment then. He's not even seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Nothing. He's not. He's not even seen Dallas Buyers Club. He specified that one. Um, but he, he is excellent in that. Yeah, we won an Oscar for it. He better be. <laughs> um, he did, however, specify there was one exception to this. He has seen Requiem for a Dream. Okay, okay which was, I suppose, kind of his watershed moment as an actor. I can't believe the guy's never seen Fight Club. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so there is a white man over 30 who's never seen Fight Club. Okay. But it's good to know there's one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I literally have the poster on my bedroom wall. So can we expect in like a year's time where he says, actually, I did see it and actually it was uh, I have garbage. no idea. But, oh, okay. Are you a Halloween fan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, original. Original. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. Good news, because you know that's coming back next year. What? Again? Halloween's coming back, but it's coming back to its original continuity. Okay. So they're even going to delete a few of the original. They go- this is going to be Halloween 3, effectively. They're so terminatoring ha- it. Yeah, they're terminatoring it. So Halloween happened. Halloween 2 happened. Right. Like the Jamie Lee Curtis ones, not the god-awful Rob Zombie ones. <laughs> um, and it's going, to be, it's going to be directed by David Gordon Green, who has co-written the script with Danny McBride, of all people. What? Okay. John Carpenter is producing it. No. So the original creator, he's producing it, and wow. apparently he has a lot of say in it. Like, okay. We've been told it's also being produced by uh, Jason Bloom from Blumhouse, who you know just like Get Out, Insidious, and, yeah, all those movies. So he yeah. knows how to sell a horror movie. So it's a sequel then. It is. A, it is. A, well, it's a threequel technically. It's going. It's going to be the third official installment. Wait a minute. Are they erasing Halloween H two O? Yep. Oh, I'm not down with that. But that's that's where this news <laughs> comes in. Actually, right. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back. Okay. Okay. She's going to be back as Laurie Strode. Okay, so this would be, yeah, the third one in sequence that she stars in. Mm-hmm. Now, because they've gone back in the continuity, they have the opportunity to undo certain characters and events. 
And in this case, we're getting rid of Josh Hartnett. Oh. Okay. Laurie Strode does have a child, though. And they have cast that child. They have cast Judy Greer. What? Yeah, I know. So Judy Greer, who was uh, Scott, uh, Scott Lang's wife in Ant-Man, she played Caesar's wife in Plant the Apes, yeah. the Dawn of the Plant the Apes and, and War 4. She's the mum in Jurassic World. Mum in Jurassic World, yeah, yeah the, aka the worst negligent, most negligent mum ever. Yeah. I'll send my kids off to a dinosaur park unattended <laughs> in the company of my known-to-be-negligent sister. Yes. But boy, I'm glad she did. Boy, I'm glad she did, yeah. Um, wow, she's going to be Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter. Like, yes. that's like... I know Jamie Lee Curtis is not exactly a spring chicken, but that's just mind-blowing. <laughs> that Jamie Lee Curtis is old enough to have a daughter, Judy Greer's yeah. age. Absolutely true, though. Oh, crazy. Yeah, she's going to be Karen Strode. Karen Strode. Karen Strode. So we shall see, we'll see who gets cast next. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Cool. I mean, when can we expect that, then? That is next Halloween. No way. That is literally next Halloween. Wow. By the way, speaking of Halloween movies, yes. I discovered the other day, I was waiting for uh, The Glass Castle to start, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Lionsgate movie. We're now calling that Glassel, by the way. Glassel. Yeah, I'm waiting for Glassel to start. And excellent, excellent. Good wordage. <laughs> um, so I was waiting for Glassel to start, and I was talking to uh, the, the very nice lady from Lionsgate, and we were talking mm-hmm. about films they have coming up. And she was saying they have uh, they have My Little Pony in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Do you know what? I actually really want to see that. I actually hear surprisingly good things about it from adults. Emily Blunt is, is Emily Blunt the main Pat Oswalt's in it. Is he? Yeah. And John Hamm? And jo- Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, I was, I was. Uh, it's getting uh, some some good buzz actually from adults. So I'm intrigued by that. I'm mm. looking forward to it. She's saying we have that coming up. We also have Jigsaw. Of course. And I was saying, oh, I can't wait for Jigsaw. She went, oh yeah, y- you know we're not screening that, right? Oh what? no, bad sign. No, 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 no. Actually, not. Okay. Because I think after the second or third saw, yeah, they never screened them for critics after that. Okay. Because I think the, the 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 I think the logic behind it was a there was a certain quality level that was just going to be there anyway. And you were either in on it or in on it or you weren't. That's true. It's kind of like is there any point in screening a Transformers movie? Mm. Doesn't necessarily mean they're awful, but it means you know what to expect. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Bond movies have a similar thing, incidentally. Um, but also there's the spoiler issue. It, yeah. It's very easy to spoil a Saw movie. But they're never going to live up to the first one. I don't know. I defy anyone that saw that twist come in. <laughs> I know. Man, yeah, but that was, that was a real mind blow back then. It was then. a doozy. That was so good back then. That was then. so good. I, I got handed because that was back in the days of like movietime.com, yeah. uh, which is where you could you could order like region three and four DVDs, like proper DVDs yeah. from uh, basically the Far East. And they were official studio release DVDs. Yeah. But you could order them whilst films were still in cinemas. Here cool. and and you paid the same price as you would when it eventually came out in the Why UK. I don't know about this anyway. But it was also the only one of these sites that didn't charge import tax. Cool. Yeah, it's not around anymore. Well. But uh, a friend of mine handed me uh, saw one day, mm. and uh, I, I went to take it home, stuck it on, just on his recommendation. Knew nothing of it. Yeah. Goddamn, I was blown away. I rem- I still remember going to the cinema to see it, and I was a cheeky seventeen-year-old sneaking into an eighteen, and I was just. <laughs> Yeah, mind blown. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really good, wasn't it? And then the second one was really bad. Oh, I like the second one. I'll be honest, I like them all except for, really, number four, I think. Number four is the only one I, I actively disliked because... Once we get past three, they mm. all become a blur. 
but I, I always remember Saw is a franchise that really does test the boundaries of what what a mainstream audience finds to be good taste. True. I remember people going ballistic about the brain surgery sequence in the third one. Mm. But, so Jigsaw's coming out, though. So Jigsaw is coming out, but no pressure. Oh. No pressure. So unless we should a, go and see it together, then we should. Yeah, we, we're racking them up this week. Aren't we? um, okay, I've we, got it on record now. We do. Uh, we're getting a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. No, and we are. Uh, it's going to be live s- action, I presume. Uh, CG slash live action. No way. Yeah. What? I don't know. How? All I want to know is exactly how long is it going to be before Paul Giamatti gets cast as Dr. Robotnik? Of course. Because <laughs> who else do you get? It's either Paul Giamatti or John Goodman. That's so weird. Like, CGI slash live action. But, but wait, because there's, there's really bad news. It's being done at Paramount. Oh. Uh, I know. So it'll make no money. Oh, that's a shame. I know. Uh, DC are going to, you know, the, the DCAU, as it's called, the DC Animated Universe. I did not, but well, I do know. Animated films that get released, directed sure. TV. They tend to get like event screenings for one night only kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Through, uh, I forget what they're called now, a fan company. Yeah, anyway, um, they're doing their first Elseworld uh, release this year with Elseworld. Gotham Elseworld, which is like an alternative universe version of a popular character. Okay. So they're coming out with something called Gotham by Gaslight, which is an animated movie that goes down the steampunk route with Batman. He's Batman in Victorian London hunting Jack the Ripper. Oh. Okay. Turns out they're also doing another one of those afterwards. It's going to be called Batman Ninja, and it's basically going to be anime and it reimagines Batman as a ninja, which kind of, you know, kind of freaks me a little bit, since I'm pretty sure Batman's meant to be a ninja. Well, that's what Christopher Nolan told me. Yeah. Didn't Liam Neeson teach him to be a ninja? I'm pretty sure he did. You know, they weren't doing jigsaws and eating scones. <laughs> they were training for ninjahood. <laughs> but <laughs> Training for ninjahood, like, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, did you like the film Lucy? I didn't. Did you not? I didn't. It, it does seem to be a quiet as I liked it. I don't. It didn't blow my mind. I liked it, but we get a sequel. I quite liked it until towards the end. Yeah, we'll get ready for Lucy too. No. So yeah. So uh, that's two C. Two C. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Uh, Two C is two C is coming. Luke Besson's written the script. It will not be his next film though. Um, But yeah, it is coming. So expect it in the next couple of years. Quite interesting to see how they pick that up. (laughs) Yeah, because can it? I don't know. Did we talk about Charlie's Angels last week? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, apparently, they, they've got uh, someone in mind for two of the angels. Go on. Right. Okay. Bear in mind, this is going to be produced, directed, and uh, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Right. These are their choices for two of the angels. <sighs> Brace yourself. Embraced. Lupita Nyong'o. Okay. Okay. It's out of nowhere. Fair enough. Okay. And Kristen Stewart. No. I know, that was my response to. What? Y- yeah, I know. Which one is she? Uh the woman the, the one with woman. the moody one with no sex appeal. <laughs> Unless you're directing Snow White and the Huntsman. Anyway, um <laughs> I know that was that was a bit, a bit of a jab there, wasn't it? <laughs> I, re- I can't see that. Like aren't no. they meant maybe I don't know Charlie's Angels enough, but aren't they meant to be kind of peppy feisty women? Like Yeah. You know? Pretty much. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I actually, I didn't mind the short-lived uh, TV revival a couple of years ago. There but, you go. Uh, starred uh, Jessica Jones's sister, the, the blonde, the blonde uh, Rachel uh, something. I don't know. I don't know. Ra- Rachel something from from Jessica Jones plays the sister. You still watch that? Well, the sequel, um, the TV series. No, no, no. They did a short-lived revival. 
and uh, it got cancelled after like five episodes. There you go. Yeah, so obviously you did that well. Um, the only one that enjoyed it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about, about Justice League for a moment, because uh, right, first of all, uh, Danny Elfman is doing the score for Justice League. Ooh. Okay, fair enough. How did they get that one? I think someone said, oh, who can score Batman and not sound nauseating? <laughs> and they said, well, evidently not uh, Junkie XL. Because Junkie XL's refused to do it anyway, um, so uh, they thought, "Oh, Danny Elfman did it good. Did it good once. We'll get him to do it good again." So they've got Danny Elfman back to the Justice League score, and apparently he's managed to include the original Superman theme Ooh. as part of his score. So that the do 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 that's yeah. going back. Nice. So we might actually get when something. When is Justice League actually coming out? November. And they're only just doing the score. Well, is that normal? Be wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The score usually. Usually the last two months. Okay. Um, but the uh, interesting thing I've noticed with Justice League, they're doing a lot of, you know, there's a lot of posters for it appearing this last week or so. Mm. Have you noticed something strange about these posters? Uh, not that I can think of. Right, next time you see one of these posters, just look at the colour of everyone's skin. Okay. And see if you notice, regardless of race or anything like that, uh, just just see if you notice anything weird about skin tone in it. And oh, you're going to have to tell me. Okay, right. Every single image that has appeared in the last week for Justice League mm. has noticeably been stuck in Photoshop and had the vibrant setting turned right the hell up <laughs> in this bizarre attempt to sort of protest that, oh, no, no, it's not dark, it's lighter, honestly. It's, I promise you, it's so much brighter. Okay, because you know what colour uh, Wonder Woman's outfit is. Yeah. It's bright red now in oh. these posters. How strange. It's very odd. If you look at them now, it's hilarious to watch them. Yeah, I'm going to notice it now. Oh, you will. <laughs> it's terrible. There you go. Responding to what the people want. Yes. What do the people want? The vibrant setting. Turn, Turn the lights right up. the hell up. Yeah. Turn the lights on so we can actually see what's happening. Oh, God. But uh, you know, that's, that's really it for me this week. I'm kind of out of news. I think the only thing I've got is Jude Law. Gonna be oh, yeah, he's going to do a, 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 a spy movie called The Rhythm Section. Yeah, with Blake Lively? Yep. Sure. Okay, that's fine, I guess. It's a random parent. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, after King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, I don't want to see uh, Jude Law in anything for a while. <laughs> Funny story about that, I was, I was sat, I was shooting the breeze with with Chris on his set the other day and we were talking about just films recently we were, t we were talking about spending too much money on films right and we were talking specifically about Blade Runner we were talking about the fact that Blade Runner 2049 has cost apparently about 180 million wow and that it is sheer insanity so we were literally sat around having a beer waiting for Loving Vincent to start mm -hmm. we sat at the the, the Waxy O'Connor's in Leicester Square mm -hmm. and uh, shooting the breeze and we were waiting for that and we were saying it's insane in 2017, that you would spend 180 million on a sequel to Blade Runner, a movie which we should never forget was a box office bomb. Of course, right? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. So the idea that there's an expectation that the sequel could be anything else—I'm I, I, sure it'll have a great opening weekend—but let's not forget what happened to Mother. True. Yeah. Although presumably this is a bit more mainstream. A little bit more mainstream. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, 180 million. 180 million on Think this. Think of the subways you could buy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about that, and we were talking about like, ridiculous uh, films that they spent ridiculous sums of money on, and uh, he said, you know, it's like that Robin Hood film. I went, oh, Robin Hood film? Yeah, the one with, it's the one with the Pacific Rim bloke. 
And I went, oh, yeah, Legend of the Sword. He goes, that's the one, yeah. He goes, Is it, he goes isn't it funny? I say Robin Hood, and you actually know what film I'm in. Went, yeah, yeah, because it did actually feel like a, a pretty crap Robin Hood movie. That's bad times. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. To be fair, though, I forgive Jude Lord just because of Spy, which is such an amazing film. Uh, yeah, but he is overshadowed by the, the, the comedic tour de force that is uh, Jason Statham. True that. True that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we need more Statham and comedies in our life. We do. We, we do. We do. I really didn't think he'd pull it off, but he does. Where would you get the suit? Made it, didn't I? <laughs> Made it, didn't I? <laughs> uh, when this when this ends, by the way, in a moment, I'm, I'm gonna. I have to tell you the the, uh, the Jason Isaacs thing. Uh, yes. I promise. I, I, when I tell you this, I will make you will race out and see the Death of Starlin when it comes out. Cool. Yeah. Okay. okay on which note, we must wrap up. No, oh, I have to. Thank you for joining me again, by the way. Thank you for having me. But uh, and, and don't forget to notice the uh, the Justice League marketing posters because yes, they are hilarious. Uh, in fact, Calvin has just texted me an image that actually shows one of them side by side, edited in with a still from Batman and Robin. Please look at this. Yeah. Oh wow. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It looks like it's lit for Batman and Robin. It does. Because they've turned the vibrance up and it just looks silly. By the way, notice his skin tone. Look at Batman's mouth. Ben Affleck's mouth. Yeah, it's basically orange. It looks like a doll. It does, like yeah. Like a Ken doll. But that's what they're doing. That's their new uh, their new marketing campaign. <laughs> but see if uh, it works, eh? Yeah. On which note, here it is. Your moment of cage. You've heard how people use only 10% of their brains? Sorcerers can manipulate matter because they're born with the capability to use the entire power of their brains. So wait, is, is sorcery science or magic? Yes and yes. 